0: So we've started this series last week. If you weren't here, um, we are looking at some dangerous prayers that we can pray. Um, I need to give a little disclaimer up at the front of this. Um, this series was inspired by a series preached by Craig Rochelle down at Life Church in Oklahoma. Um, a friend of mine came across it and referred me to it and said, you should preach on this, and I don't usually do that Um, but I honestly I listened to his messages and I was inspired and realized how much we need to do this for this main reason we tend to pray things that are really really safe and avoid praying and asking for God to do things that make us nervous and put us in places of discomfort We tend to pray things like I just prayed, you know, protect us, keep us from any kind of harm, and bless us and make sure that we've got what we need, and then comfort us, you know, make us well and not sick, and make us happy and not sad, and we could go on and on with what comfort might look like for us in the moment, but we tend to pray those safe prayers asking God to take care of us. It's a a request, it's a personal request. Asking God for the good things for me. Make my life a little bit easier, more comfortable, more um, enjoyable, maybe. But dangerous prayers look different. Dangerous prayers are when we go to the Lord and instead of requesting from Him, we offer to Him. And so last week we started by saying, Lord, search me. And the offer was, Lord, you can examine my heart you can examine my inner life and as you search me help me to see what you see help me to see it the way you see it uncover my sin reveal my fears and help me to process through those things so that's what we talked about last week and we're going to move on and this message today is kind of the anchor of the three Today we're going to talk about the prayer that says, Lord, break me. And so we heard the prayer that the woman prayed. And I have to say that this might be the most difficult message to hear in this whole series. We don't often pray this. I don't pray this. I don't drive down the road going, you know, Lord, break me. If you need me to slam into the car in front of me, go right ahead. If you need to take me in through, drag me through a knothole, hole, go right ahead, Lord, if that's what you need me to know, I go for the safe prayers Get me there safe. Don't let anybody hit me. You know, help everybody at church to be happy with what I preached and what I did. And happy that they have to sit out in 100 degree weather and sell fireworks to people that are wasting their money. But break me, says Lord. Rearrange me in radical ways. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And then next week, come back because the final prayer Um, is is a prayer of being activated, and that is, Lord, send me. Uh, And we're going to examine that together, and I'm going to save that. For our passage this morning, I want to look at Psalm 51 with you um, and highlight just a little bit at the end of this passage. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 8, but the psalmist writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me, clean me from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. So I'm going to ask this question, some of you know the answer, and if you do, feel free to call it out. Do any of you remember the circumstances that precipitated David writing this psalm? Any of you remember what was going on in David's life? I knew Julie would say yes. Anyone else? There's a few of you. Kim, what was it? Exactly. So David, he, he did some horrible stuff. I mean, we know that he was described after a man after God's own heart, but he was as human and as corruptible as any of us and probably did worse things than any of us will do. He saw Bathsheba, he was attracted to her and probably raped her. Probably took her against her will, but he had the power to do that. It may not have been physically forcible, but at the very least, uh, he used his power to manipulate her. And then after that, and after he found out that they had conceived a child, he then uh, proceeded to plot against her husband, Uriah, and sent him off to battle and sent him on a mission that he was certain not to survive. And essentially then, he followed rape with murder. And you remember the story, some of you, I'm sure, as David then went on and married Bathsheba and everything looked peachy because Uriah died a hero, quote-unquote, and he took Bathsheba in and they were going to have this child and then the prophet shows up. And I was listening to a podcast recently where a, a, a preacher was talking about the role of prophets today and I like this because the prophet shows up and here's David a man of immense power a man who can take somebody else's wife and take somebody else's life and nobody says a word and the prophet walks in and this is what the prophet does the prophet Nathan says I want to tell you a story I want to tell you a story about this guy who had a little lamb. And some of you remember the story. The neighbor takes it because he has, he has guests and he slaughters the lamb. And the neighbor who had only one lamb, it's gone. And he tells the story. And David gets incensed. I mean, he gets ticked off angry. And he says, whoever did this should die. And Nathan And this is my own subjectivity in this story, but I just imagine it this way. So go with me if you'll permit. I think Nathan looks around and his parting shot, he whispers. I think he says it very quietly. He says, David, you're the man. You're the man. The message I was listening to had this preacher saying, you know what we need? We need prophets who speak to power who can say, you're the one. You're the man. Who can tell the story that lays open our leaders to their faults. And we can go any direction with that you want. I, yeah, we can poke fun at any leader you want because they are all human, they are all corruptible, and they all disappoint us. But we need a few people who can very quietly then at the end of an exhortation just say, you know what, you are the man, you're the one. And, of course, David is devastated. He's devastated, and there is a price to be paid for his sin. And he knows it, and he goes into grieving, and he goes into public repentance, and he still pays the price. And then he writes these words, and he says, Lord, you have broken me. We might argue with him and go, wait a minute, God does not harm people. You're the one that did this. You did this to Bathsheba. You did this to Uriah. You did this to your family. You did this to your nation. You're the guy. You should pay the price. You should die. You said so yourself. But he writes these words, A broken and contrite heart you do not despise. So here's the thing, folks. There's hope for everybody. It doesn't matter what party you're in. It doesn't matter what office you hold. It doesn't matter how bad you did things. A broken and contrite heart God does not despise. In fact, God loves to work with brokenness. He does not care to work with people who feel they're complete. So, As we pray these dangerous prayers, let's just examine that that beginning place and what I would call the myth of a self-made person. Years ago, I had the blessing of pastoring a church where uh, there was a man in the church who had been extremely, I mean, significantly successful in business. He was a millionaire. He was more successful in business than most people you and I will ever meet. And it didn't come without a price, but he had been blessed by God with a, an incredible intellect and some great ideas that he had been able to bring into fruition and market them to America, and he made a lot of money off of it. One day, as, as I was talking to another person in our congregation, we were talking about him, and and the way that he conducted himself in our church, which at the time I pastored him, he was extremely gracious, he was very generous, he was very patient, and he was very gentle. And in fact, the children of the church saw him as sort of the grandpa of everybody, and they would come in, he would sit in our foyer there in a, in a short pew, and the kids would come into church on Sunday morning, and two or three of them would climb up there on the seat with him, some would end up on his lap, and he would would love them. His son is a good friend of mine. And his son said, You know, I'm glad they don't know my dad the way he was as a younger man. He, and this was, these were his words, he was a bear. He was a bear. Someone else in the congregation came to me and said, Well, you know, they referred to him this way. They said he was a self-made man. He came out of poverty. He grew up in a poor family. He had a great idea. He got a tremendous education. He put it together with investors and, and it seemed to a casual glance that it just took off. That wasn't exactly how it happened. He had all kinds of potholes and landmines along the way. He had lots of disappointments and somewhere about the age of 50, he had a huge life transformation. And when they said that to me, I said, no, he was not a self-made man. He tried that path and it broke him. (laughs) He ended up having a serious heart attack, which left him with a heart condition that was Incredibly fragile, and I happened to be in his presence once when he had a repeat occurrence of that heart attack. And I knew that the Lord shook his world because there was not enough money in the world to replace his heart. There was not enough money in the world to buy him a few more days. There wasn't a deal that he could broker that would get him what he wanted. And the Lord broke him in the most beautiful ways. Broke him in ways that little children climbed in his lap in the foyer of our church when he wasn't strong enough to pick them up. You see, in America, with our culture and our history and the stories that we tell about our nation, we tend to pronounce independence and autonomy the home of the free, the land of the free, the home of the brave. We like to be independent. We like to say... The government can't tell me what to do with whatever it is that we want to do. And we have set up a system of limited government just so that they can't do that. And we have fought wars against totalitarianism because we think it's really important for me to be able to choose where I'm going to live, what job I'm going to pursue, who I'm going to marry, who I'll vote for. Independence. Is at the heart of our values. And in fact, it motivated us so much that we were willing to throw King George's tea in the harbor. Some of you probably saw memes going around the internet in the last week having to do with the Revolutionary War. One of my favorite was this one. Probably my favorite. British flag, Union Jack, that said, Happy Rebellion Day, you ungrateful colonists. And there's something in my heart and probably in your heart that is distinctly American and, and sort of the frontier pioneer spirit that we have here in Kansas that goes, Yeah. Take that, England. England. You can't take our freedom from us. These colors don't run. And that kind of independence and autonomy just sort of percolates in us and it gives us pride and it gives us energy and it rallies us around any national cause. But the trouble is there's a dark side to that as well. Because when we say that to King George, eventually we end up saying it to God Almighty. And we say, God, I don't need you. You can't tell me what to do. I will make my own way. In fact, you guys have heard this saying. If you want it done right, say it louder. Do it yourself. Don't rely on anybody else. Don't ask for anybody else's input. If you want it done right, be independent, autonomous, and active. If you want it done right, do it yourself. That's just at the heart of American pulse but at the heart of that is also we have to recognize we have to wrestle with at the heart of that is also a heart of unbelief that says i can't believe somebody else will follow through will do this right will not let me down will not confine me and fence me in will not judge me And we could go on and on, but there's this heart in us that goes, I have to do it myself because I can't trust anyone else to do it for me, with me, to me. And usually, we don't just extend that to the people around us. We extend that to God himself and we go, Oh Lord, if you could just do these things and while you're thinking about it, I have a plan. Right? Oh, I'm the only one that does that. So, at the heart of that is this sense of unbelief that says, Lord, I really want you to do these things, but I have great ideas and I'm going to run with those ideas. And if they're not your ideas, then maybe I'll just do it my way. Is that the heart of who we are? Is that what's happening when we're independent? I just broke my remote. I just fixed my remote. Well, if we can come to the place where we accept that being independent and autonomous has a dark side of unbelief, then we can go to the next part of saying, okay, Lord, then break me. And uh, this is where we need to do a little bit of reformation about our freedom. So we need to be people who take responsibility and not people who take over. I know we all have an opinion about something. But if we're going to stand together, eventually some of us are not going to get our way, right? Myself included. And so we need to take responsibility. We need to be active, but we don't need to believe the lie that I have to take over things in order for this to run, right? We need to be active, but not controlling. Boy, that's hard to do. That is hard to do if I'm going to be trusting, believing in people around me, if I'm going to be trusting, believing in God himself, I can't order the way things have to go. I have to give some latitude to what God wants to do. In fact, Francis Chan says, we've forgotten about the person of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer that says I will stop at some point and I will no longer operate because I will wait on God. Wow. And I know we can be really idealistic with this and we can go to a place where we go, man, that is just foolish. That is dangerous stuff. Well, I would just suggest to you that following God is generally dangerous. So, What we want to do in reforming our freedom is we want to be cooperative with one another and not rebellious, right, men? Have you heard that before? Sid Mead has been reminding us in our men's group that we are rebellious by nature, but if we are going to be people of God, we have to learn some ways of cooperating with each other. We have to give some room For us to live together, otherwise we're just going to be isolated, and when we are isolated, we are separated, and when we are separated, we are easily overcome. We need to be interdependent, not codependent, and those are, I know, those are code words. If you have a a loved one, or you yourself have come through battling addiction you know the danger of this. You can't just say to somebody, go out and good luck. But on the other hand, you can't get caught and enmeshed in a thing where I'm just helping to perpetuate a very destructive situation, whatever the addiction might be. So I want to be cooperative, but I'm not going to be codependent. I, I want to be interdependent where we can rely on each other, but I don't want to be codependent where we allow each other to really mess up. There's a difference. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But this is where we reform our freedom from license to responsibility. So here's the thing. The act of being broken or the process of being broken is a process of undoing ourselves or being undone in order to allow God to redo. It's about undoing things so that God can put them back together. Another big word for this is deconstruction. Where we have put stuff together, we then, it need, we then go through this realization where things need to be taken apart. Sometimes we don't even realize it, but life just starts coming apart because we've constructed something that isn't going to survive. And so deconstruction often looks like and feels like demolition, destruction to us when things just are coming undone and we just feel like I am ruined and my life is a mess. We tend to think that it is that way. I think often when God is saying, I'm undoing the things you're trying. God loves us so much, he will actively try to undo our waywardness. Isn't that great? Until he starts doing it. And then we go, what is going on? Why, why can't things work the way I think they should work? Why can't I do what I want to do? Why is it that I'm just paying a price for everything? If you're asking yourself those kinds of questions, you need to be asking yourself, is God deconstructing my life in order to restructure my life? You see, being broken feels an awful lot like being destroyed. It feels an awful lot like being destroyed. And in fact, Craig Rochelle says this. He says that broken people rarely ask why. They don't care. We sit here and we go, well, why why is this happening? Why can't it go this way? Really broken people just say, say, help. Just help. And I have to tell you, there is something painfully wonderful about arriving at that place where you just go, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Painful because we arrive at the end of ourselves, but wonderful because we arrive at the end of ourselves and then God can go to work there. You see, without reconstruction, it's, it is just destruction. If we say, well, everything's just falling apart and I'm going to leave it there, it's, it is just demolition. I have a loved one who has battled addiction for years. She's been in and out of 12-step programs. She's in another one right now and I'm praying for her. She talks to me, if you've been through a 12-step program or have a loved one that has you, this will sound familiar to you. But she talks to me about hitting bottom and that they have celebrations when people hit bottom when when they get pulled over with their third DUI and they're never going to drive again okay good now you're ready to start putting your life back together so hitting bottom is a celebration when you hit bottom you realize that I cannot go on this way I can't continue in the addiction something has to change but I got to tell you hitting bottom with her has not been a fun experience never is it's a hard hard experience but the great thing is you go, okay, well now then we're ready. We recognize our brokenness and we are ready to be reconstructed the way God does reconstruction. In Genesis 50 verse 20 we read this. This comes from the life of Joseph. Joseph who was is let me give you a little backstory. Joseph who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. He was one of the first human traffickers. Uh, human, they were the first human traffickers. He was the traffiquee, I guess is what you say. But Joseph was sold into slavery. Then he went off to another country and started to get a little bit of footing and got ahead a little bit, and then he was falsely accused of rape, sent to jail. Then he made some friends in jail, and, and they got out, and he said, Hey, you know, when you guys get out, remember me, and they forgot him. So now he's in jail, falsely imprisoned and forgotten. And you guys know the story. He gets out, he comes back, he rises to the highest office in the land and his brothers show up. Those guys that hurt him, that changed his life, rearranged everything. And he went from being the favorite son to a sex offender. And when he encounters his brothers, he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph has this incredible privilege, this incredible benefit of being able to look at his life and go, you know what? You guys meant to destroy me, but God takes demolition and does reconstruction. So here's what I want you to consider. When it comes to your life being reconstructed, the place where you are broken is probably the place where you will do your best ministry. Think about that for a moment. The place where you are broken is probably where you will do your best ministry ministry. You will be the most sensitive to people going through those same things. You will have better advice because you've had the benefit of experience. You will have more passion because you know what it is like to be freed and put back together again. You wonder where can God use me? Look at where you were broken. It's uncomfortable. We don't like to go back there. It seems like it's scary if I have to go back and relive that stuff but I guarantee you there's other people that are not reliving. They're living it for the first time and they're all around you. That means we go to the hard places. That means we go to the hard places where God wants to break us, not just because we're super Christians. This is not about advanced Christianity. Oh my goodness, Pastor Hink, you know, his life, he's been broken and God has remade him into a great guy. I'll never get to that standing. Well, let me tell you, this is not about being super Christian. This is about the beginning. This is about becoming a child of God. We have to be broken to enter the kingdom. We have to become, as Jesus said, we have to become like children in order to come into the kingdom of God. We don't get to come in because we figured it out. We don't get to come in because we got over the hurdles. We don't get to come in because we figured out we knew how to pick the lock on the kingdom of God. We get to come in because we're broken. And we acknowledge that and we call out to God. That's it. That's it. That's the starting place for every believer. So don't... Don't think what I'm talking about here today is when you guys arrive, you'll understand and you'll have experienced brokenness. No, for us to begin, we've got to go there. This is from the very outset of our faith journey. Jesus, as he was gathering for the Last Supper, he's sitting there with his, with his friends and his followers, and he knows he is about to go through this horrible physical ordeal this execution and he knows he has to do this in order for others to get into the kingdom it's incredible and he says these words as he does this this ritual with his friends this this last supper this passover meal and he breaks this bread and he he does some things that kind of violate the conventions of the passover or the seder supper But as he does this, this is what we read in Mark's version of this Last Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He broke it. In order for that bread to serve its purpose, to remind these people about what he was about to do, in order for that bread to become this incredible symbol, for every Christian believer to come. In order for the bread to become this spiritual meal where we know that Christ is present with us, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many he said that he didn't say this is served to you this is offered nope it's poured out it's spilled for you there's this reckless sense that god would allow his son to be destroyed because he seems to understand that it is in brokenness there's a possibility of making whole. So as we think about the hard places, this came to me. I will give up the failures. I'm, I'm happy to let God have that. I'll give up the dirt. I'll give up the not so pleasant things that I'd rather none of you saw. Sure, God, take those things. Let's get rid of them. Take that broken step. But what about the places where I've been kind of successful? Where I've been kind of good? Where I've got some ability and people go, wow, that's good. Can I hold on to those, Lord? And I realize that what God says, is, no. No, I don't just want the mess. I want all of you. I want your successes and I want them to be broken for me. I want the good things too. And I want it to be broken for me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way he said the real the real message of the gospel is that the person should come to god and die <laughs> that was it not you know come to god and just be re- remanufactured come to god and we'll clean you he'll clean you up you know we've all seen those bumper stickers christians aren't perfect they're just forgiven and that is, that is only partially true. Christians are broken. They are dead in Christ so they can be alive in Christ. I am crucified with Christ, is what Paul said, so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So my friends, this is asking more of you than just Asking you to make us your best self. Maybe you've heard that phrase lately. You know, I just want to be my best self. God doesn't want you to be your best self. He wants you to be remade, transformed in his image, holy. Not just the best version of you, God's version of you. And that means God wants you broken.